Good morning. Could we stand together in honor of God's word? We are in Jonah chapter 4. It's our, our last message in the book of Jonah. And uh, here we go. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. This is the Ninevites repenting. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appoint Whoa. <laughs> so the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your word. I believe you have a word for every single person that's here. Holy Spirit, would you fill this place? Hide me behind the cross so that we can hear what you're saying. Please, God, don't leave us unchanged. We will give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. The title of the message is Friendship with God. It's very interesting how the book of Jonah ends. You learn a lot about what the purpose of a book is by its ending. It doesn't end with a conclusion. It ends with... A question. It's not a book ultimately about a historical event of the Ninevites repenting. It is about a relationship that God has with a human being named Jonah. It is about this ongoing relationship. This is not the end of the relationship. It's in process. God ends the book with this question challenging Jonah's value system challenging what he's about versus what God's about. He is inviting Jonah to become a friend 
with God, of God, just like he's inviting us. So I want to talk about two things that are necessary to become God's friend. Number one is to embrace God's desire. John chapter 15, verses 14 and 15. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I'm no longer calling you servants. Servants don't really know what's going on. I'm calling you to obedience, but it's the obedience of a friend, not the obedience of a servant. That's very different. Obedience is always necessary for the kingdom of God to be advanced. But there's a difference between the obedience of a servant and the obedience of a friend. The obedience of a servant, it's all about, I don't want to get punished. I, wanna, I, want, I want the reward. I don't want to get punished. It, it's, it's all about me. It's still about me. The obedience of a friend has to do, I want to be pleasing. I want to please my friend. I don't want to disappoint my friend. It's all about relationship. And he's calling Jonah higher than just being a servant. He comes out to him. I just, I love the way this book ends. God comes to Jonah in this wilderness. This, he's, he's allowed him to be very uncomfortable. Jonah is very grumpy. What Jonah is has been exposed to himself, and, and he's just angry, and he's mad, and God comes out into this desert place and speaks to him. Listen, listen to Hosea 2.14. He says, I'm going to allure her. It's speaking about the bride. I'm going to allure her into the desert, into the wilderness, and I'm going to speak tenderly to her there. I'm going to bring her out. I'm going to allure her. I'm going to deal with her life. And so she feels like she's all alone. And that, that, that it's, a, it's a wilderness. This is a dry place. It's a difficult place. And, and I'm, I'm angry and I'm upset and I blame this person and blame that person. I blame myself and I'm out in this wilderness and I kind of resent it. And God says, settle down. I want to speak to you. I want to encounter you. I want you to experience my tenderness. Do you see the tenderness of God in how he deals with Jonah? Do you see him coming with this, this question? Jonah has revealed how shallow he is. He has revealed how uncaring he is. He's just kind of a mess. And God doesn't rebuke him for where he is. He comes and he invites him and he says, think about where you are. You want to die because of this plant. And then think about what I'm thinking about. Eternal things. These, these are eternal beings in Nineveh living in spiritual darkness. The plant comes and goes. This is, this is eternal things. These are the things that are on my heart. Shouldn't I care more 
about this, that which is eternal than that which is temporal. And that's how the whole book ends. It's an invitation. It's the tenderness of God coming to us in the midst of our tantrum. It's the tenderness of God inviting us to something more, something higher, something more valuable than what we're currently living for. And here's his promise. In that day, what day? The day that you experience my voice and my tenderness in your wilderness. In that day, you won't call me master anymore. You'll call me husband. I'm calling you into partnership. I am calling. I, God doesn't want puppets. He wants partners. He's calling us into partnership. He's calling us to a higher place called friendship with God. The Bible says about Abraham in Isaiah 41.8, but you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. Oftentimes, Jacob and Israel didn't really come into friendship. Just because you're God's child, just because you're God's servant, just because you go to church doesn't make you God's friend. Abraham became a friend of God. He's called this again in James chapter 2, verse 3, that Abraham believed God and had this title. He was called the friend of God. That's God's desire for you. He wants you to be his friend. He wants you to be his partner. He wants you to come higher. We see a little of, a, a little of what it means to be a friend of God. Here, here, here's uh, Genesis chapter 18, verse 17. He's, it, it, it's, it's Jesus in pre, in Old Testament form, appearing as a man, speaking to one of the angels, and says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? It's, there's judgment coming on Sodom and Gomorrah, and, but he's not going to do it without talking to his friend. Abraham is in the know. That's, that's how a friend is treated. You're not blind. You get to know what God's doing. You get to know what's on God's heart. You get to know what God's thinking. Look, look at the favor of a friend. This is Genesis 19, 29. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Lot was a believer in God. Lot was, in some ways, a servant of God, but Lot, Lot was not God's friend. <laughs> Lot, Lot pretty much lived for Lot, and pretty much lived for what he appeared in the temporal, and, and it says that when Lot was delivered out, it was because God remain, remembered Abraham. Now, it doesn't say because he remembered Lot, because he remembered Abraham. And Abraham had prayed for him, and Abraham was his relative. And there is a favor that God gives to his friends. And then I just absolutely love this. This is in Genesis uh, 20, verse 7. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live 
But if you don't restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Part of friendship with God is that God's going to cover over your weaknesses and your failures. This whole story is about... Abraham is a mess in this story. He's coming to a city. Ahimelech is the king of that city. So in fear, he asks Sarah to pretend he's his sister or say that he's his sister, which he could justify at some level. And so in really cowardice, he basically makes Sarah very vulnerable. And Ahimelech, sure enough, Sarah's beautiful, takes her, takes her into the home. But the grace of, by the grace of God, he doesn't sleep with her. And then bad things start happening to Ahimelech's home, and he figures out, well, he has a dream, actually, and God shows him what the cause of this is, that, that, that Sarah and Abraham are married. And then he says this about Abraham. He's a prophet. He's sent by me. And here's how you're going to get out of this. He's going to pray for you pray for you. The, the guy that caused all this trouble, my favor is so on him and so with him that you actually have to go to him and now humble yourself and ask him to pray for you. Because that's, I'm just, I back my friends. A friend. Being a friend of God. This is his desire. This is why you were created. You weren't created just to be his child or just to be his servant. You and I were created to be a friend of God. And somebody has to say yes to that. Somebody has to say, yes, God, I want to be your friend. And then point two, last point. Embrace God's ways. God calls Jonah higher than man's judgment into his mercy. Look at Isaiah 55, 7 and 8. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. This is one of the biggest differences between us and God. At some point, we want judgment. We want people to get what they deserve. And God says, no, no, I, my heart is filled with mercy. And if a sinner forsakes his way, a sinner turns to me, I'm going to welcome them. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to pardon them. I'm going to give them mercy. And God's mercy is, is different than the way we give mercy. Do you know who we give mercy to? Those we feel deserve mercy. Do you realize that's a contradiction? You know, they've had a tough life, da 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 You know, we need to have mercy on them, okay? That's not even the definition of mercy. That's called justice, when you give people what you feel they deserve. God's mercy 
transcends anything that human beings have ever seen. It's funny because Jonah has himself received mercy. He got a new beginning. He got a fresh start. He, God could have killed him, and he was at the point of death, and God had mercy on him and gave him a second chance. But even though he's received mercy, he just can't agree with God's mercy for Nineveh. There is something about Christians that we think our service for God has somehow entitled us to that we're somehow better than other people. There's something about us working and doing good that makes us feel just a little better than other people and that we're in a little different class. And so even though Jonah would easily say, yeah, I received mercy, but in his heart of hearts, he kind of feels like he deserved mercy. He's worked for God, he's spoken for God, he's been God's man all these years, and yeah, I'm not perfect, and I got a little off, and God gave me a new beginning. But these Ninevites are horrible. They haven't done anything but wickedness. They deserve judgment. I want justice for them. And my mercy, yeah, I kind of, I feel like, you know, I was a good candidate for mercy. We see the difference between man's heart and God's heart with the older brother. The older brother in the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son has gone out, wasted all the father's money, wasted it, wasted the inheritance in sinful living, overtly sinful living with prostitutes and partying, and and then he's eating the pig's food, and he comes home, and when he's still a long way off, (laughs) the father sees him, and runs to him and hugs him and washes him and commands that the the best, the the fatted calf be killed so that we can have a party and takes the, puts sandals on his feet, which is how you took away shame in that culture, and put the best robe on him, which of course was his own robe, and, and he treats him like he's just this valued, rejoiced in, human being even though he's made an absolute mess of things did you know that if you take a hundred dollar bill and you crumble it up and you throw it down and you stomp on it and you open it back up do you know it's still worth a hundred dollars <laughs> all that it all that's happened to it all that it maybe was self-inflicted all of it that it has marred it doesn't take away its value, and that's how God feels about human beings. And so God has this welcome for the prodigal son, but there's a second son, and that's the older brother. He's the one that never left home. He's the one that's kept all the rules. He's the one that's done what he was supposed to do all the time, and he is just angry at the mercy of God. And so the father goes out to him and says, son, tell me, you know, my son, every, you were always with me. Everything I have is yours. Tell me what's going on. And he, he, he can't call him father, and he can't call his brother his brother. He has to call him your son, not, not my brother, your son, has done horrible, horrible things to this family. And it is 
and I've been sitting here keeping the rules, doing all the good stuff, d d d being a good boy, and, and he comes home, and you throw a party for him? This is absolutely, it's just wrong. It's not just. And he says, the father says, your brother was lost and now he's found. Your, your brother was dead and now he's alive again. The party is about my redemption. The party is about my mercy. The party is about a new beginning. So there's this there's these workers that uh, the, 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 the employer goes and he's recruiting workers and, and in the third hour he finds some workers and, and he says, uh, I, I want you to work for me and he hires them and, and, and they enter into the purpose of what he has for them and, and they start working and then, and then he comes find some other people just standing around at the sixth hour and, and he employs them and says, I want you to come and work for me and he agrees on a wage with them and then he finds some other workers at the ninth hour and, and he says, uh, you guys are just standing around, come on, come on and join me in my purposes and then at, at the eleventh hour, there's only one hour left in the workday. He hires these other guys at the 11th hour. And when it's time for everybody to get their pay, he pays the guy that started working in the 11th hour, only worked one hour, pays him as if he had worked the full day. And of course, the guy that starts at the third hour is upset. This isn't right. This is unfair. This is not just. Why are you paying him so much? This is in Matthew chapter 20. Here's the verse. Here's what the master says, the employer. Don't I have the right to do what I want to with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? Isn't, isn't this my money? Isn't, aren't these my people? Can't I do whatever I want to? Are you upset because I'm generous? Are you upset because I'm merciful? Jonah was very upset. It was the 11th hour. Nineveh is supposed to die. Nineveh is supposed to get what's coming to them. They have pillaged. They have raped. They have oppressed. They have, they have invaded God's people. They have done all this. It is time for judgment. And, and Jonah is ready for them to get what's coming to them. And it's the 11th hour. And God says they've repented. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner repenting than over 99 people staying righteous. They have repented. They have touched my heart. I'm going to forgive them. The mercy, the mercy of God. In 1990, my dad was dying of cancer. I was very, very concerned because 
I had talked with my dad several times, and even though he was a, a faithful Catholic and went to church every Sunday, he did not believe the gospel. He was very into philosophy. He was very into all ways eventually lead to God, and, and certainly not one of them is right, and and da-da-da-da-da, and I talked to him about Jesus, and he did, well, he, he did not want to talk to me about God. He didn't want, he, I, he didn't know what I was into, but he didn't want, he just would shut that conversation down. I was very, very troubled because he was dying. <clears throat> and I couldn't talk to him because he, he just couldn't hear it from me. <laughs> there were reasons. I mean, I was very filled with myself, whatever. Um, <clears throat> there was, uh, I was not the easiest person to get along with. Let's just say that. But I prayed for my dad. One day I was reading in 2 Samuel 14, 14. Here's what it said. Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But that is not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. He devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. So there's a banished person. There's a person that justly and rightly has been excluded by God from his presence, from his salvation. But here's what God thinks about that person. I don't want them to be banished. And God devises ways. He makes plans to bring them back. And the Lord spoke to me from this verse. This verse just absolutely jumped off the pages. And he spoke to me. And he said, cancer's not for me. God doesn't do cancer. God doesn't kill people with diseases. God isn't about death. But that is not what God desires. We all must die, but that's not what God desires. That's not what God's about. However, God said, I'm going to use this cancer. This is part of my plan of bringing your dad to me. And here's what happened. Dad was very smart, but the cancer got in his brain, and it, 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 the, the doctor said that his brain was like Swiss cheese by the end that it, it, it just eaten all this different. And dad became more and more childlike. And at the end, hospice came in and we had the bed in the living room and we as children, we, had, we were taking shifts to be with dad. Every night, one of us would, would be overnight with him. And at that time, this church was called Madison Gospel Tabernacle. And I was on staff here. I was the college and career pastor. And at uh, 5.30, I think it was, we had a prayer meeting every Sunday night. There was a Sunday night service, but it was a, a different service. Anyway, there's a prayer meeting right before it. I always went to the prayer meeting. And uh, I'm at that prayer meeting, and my habit, went, and the prayer meeting was not, it was just everybody prayed however they wanted to. We put music on, and everybody kind of did their own thing. And so I just started right where I was. Every, every week, I would just start by praying for my dad, praying for his salvation. I knew he was close. But this Sunday, 
it was the oddest thing because I prayed for him, but I couldn't, I couldn't pray. I just got so filled with joy. I would try to pray, and I would just start thanking God that he had saved my dad. And I just, I just, I would try to pray for him, but I couldn't. It was just like it was already done. And I, so I just started thanking God. I didn't know how or what, but I just felt like somehow dad already was saved. And I, I just, I didn't understand it. And so after the Sunday night service, I went back to Milton, which is where they were gathered. And my sister Katie, who is a vibrant Christian, um, the rest of the family at that time was not, and, but Katie was. And so I come in the door, and Katie says, Tommy, I have got to tell you what happened. She pulls me into the utility room because they hated it when we talked about God in front of them. And so we're in the utility room, and she says, let me tell you what happened Friday night. She said, I was, I was on duty, and... And dad was just wrestling. He said, she said it was like a war. It was like he was in a spiritual war all night. She said, in the middle of the night, dad cries out. All right. What's the barrier to Jesus? And she said, Tommy, I, I came up and, and I, I just told him about the gospel and how to accept Christ and how to give your life to Christ. And I said, and she said, Dad, if you want to do that, just I, I, I can pray a prayer for you and you can just receive Jesus right now because he's done all the work. It's a gift and, and he's already done the work. And so if you want that, just squeeze my hand. And he squeezed her hand. And, and so she prayed a prayer and she said, and then, that, and then Dad just slept peacefully the rest of the night. And then she, here's what she says to me. Do you think that was... You think that was good enough? <laughs> and I'm like, Katie, and I told her what happened to me in the prayer meeting that night. I'm like, Katie, it was good enough. <laughs> it's not about good people, people. It's not about great people. It's about a merciful God who comes even at the 11th hour, even when it's 1159. He can come because of his own grace, his own mercy, his own generosity and say, you know what, let's just start over. Let's just give a new, come on in. And here's what the Lord shared with me this week. There are people that are here this morning. You are in the 11th hour. Some, maybe because you're, you're, you're just getting old. And you haven't really responded to Christ. You haven't really given yourself. And, and it feels like almost hypocrisy to come to Christ this late when you haven't your whole life. But there are others here that you're at the 11th hour with sin. You feel like you have sinned too much, too bad. And that if you were God, you would give yourself justice, not mercy, because you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. You've trampled on grace, you've gone the other way, you've had many new beginnings, and you've gone back, and you are at the 11th hour, and, and here's what God's saying. My heart is filled with mercy for you. I am calling you out of that prison, wherever it is. This, I, I'm actually using 
the prison. I'm using your sin. I'm using your life. These are all part of my bigger plan to bring. I don't want you banished. I want you close. I want you in with me. And today God is here waiting to show mercy. Waiting for somebody to simply cry out and say, all right, what's the barrier to Jesus? To be a friend of God, we have to embrace his mercy, not just for us, but for other people. We have to get used to seeing every single person, your boss, your mother-in-law, Republicans, Democrats, whoever you don't like, every single one of them. No matter how far you think, no matter how banished you think they are from God, Muslims, Buddhists, whoever they are, listen, well, here's what's going on in God's heart right now. He's devising ways for them to come home. He's devising ways. We can either be part of that way of people coming home, or we can be the older brother. A lot of times people come to church hoping to find the father running to them, and they find the older brother, and they're like, oh, they certainly don't want me there. Folks, we, we need to, to be a friend of God. We need to embrace his heart for lost people. We need to embrace his mercy. We need to become gracious, merciful People that pray with God, that are willing to speak about God's mercy and new beginning for people. And then God, secondly, embracing God's ways, we need to embrace his mercy, and then we need to embrace his eternal perspective beyond our own comfort. I love Jonah. This plant grows up, and it says he is extremely happy about this plant. Does anybody else think that Jonah was an American? I just, I, you know, he just, he's got some new technology that's making him a little more comfortable. His internet's going a little faster. It's a little more clear. It's a little more high def. And it's, he's extremely happy with his new smartphone that can do everything. And he can carry it around with him. And he can watch anything he wants to whenever he wants to. And I am so happy. And then God appoints a worm. Is your theology big enough to, 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 to honor that God can actually choose worms to do stuff? There was a little, who knows, meeting of the worms, and God said, who will go? And one of them said, here, here am I, send me. I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works, folks. I need, I need you to go kill that, that plant that I caused to grow up. And the worm's like, okay. And then God causes the winds and the heat and the dryness. God wants Jonah to be uncomfortable. Ow, ow, 
Why? Because he loves him so much? Because he wants to call him to be a friend? Listen to what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God is calling us to something more valuable than just the things that are seen, the things we can possess, the things we can comfort ourselves with. He's calling us to his perspective, to his values, to something bigger. So I'm in Montevideo, Minnesota. We're going on a missions trip to Honduras. And the deal was we're going to La Ceiba, And in La Ceiba, there's a big dump. And in the city dump, there is, we have video footage of the poor literally go into the dump to, to find food. That they are, they're picking through this dump to find food because they're so hungry. And um, so we devise a plan. We, we get another organization that is willing to donate unlimited, it's special rice. It's rice that has all of the protein, all of the vitamins, everything that you need um, to make you healthy is in this rice. And they will give it for free if we will build a, a feeding center there. And we will organize it and set it up. And so we, we raise the money for this thing. And, and we, uh, the vice president of um, Honduras donates the property for it. If we will do some favor for him, which we were happy to do. And we go down there and we build this feeding center in the dump. And... And, and now the poor have a, have a place to come, and the, the mayor of the city comes, and, and we give him the key, and they film that, and all that happens. Just a great, great missions trip in Honduras, and clearly a win for the kingdom of God. And we get back, and I'm, uh, I, just, I just get back, and I find out there's, there's something wrong with our van. And so I, I take the van in, and I've noticed that one of the hubcaps is off of the van as well. And so I, they always get, they always tell me what it's going to cost, and then they tell me, ask me if they should do the work. And so, the, so, so they make the call, and, or when I take it in, I say, you know what, don't just give me the price of this. How much would it be to get a new hubcap? Because it's kind of an eyesore to not have one of your hubcaps. And so they, they do that work, and um, they call me with the price, and, and they say, the hubcap, he, they, it, for some reason, your, your van has larger wheels, so we have to special order it. It's $80 for the hubcap. We've got four kids. I'm like, we can go without the hubcap. Let's not do the hubcap. Day later, they call. They've got all of the work done, and he says this at the end, by the way, we found a hubcap, exactly your size, and we put it on there for free. And I am just feeling so blessed by God for this hubcap. And so I go down to pick it up, and I'm just, I'm just feeling the love. I'm just feeling the love. This would have cost me $80, and they just put it on for free. And to me, God put that hubcat on. I mean, that's just amazing. So I get there, and um, I, I, I pay them, and I come out, and, and, the, and the hubcap's off. And I, I go to him. I said, what about, what about the hubcap? And he, he said, oh, my. He said, it, mu it must have come off while we were test driving it because we had it on there. <laughs> 
And so uh, I'm, sa I'm saying, well, where did you test drive? And he shows me where. And so I am driving the van up and down this road looking for that hubcap. And I am, I am getting so worked up. I, I pull into the golf course, which is on that road, and I just have to settle myself down. And I, there, there are tears in my eyes. And I say, and I say this, God gave me that hubcap. Devil, get your hands off of my hubcap. And I, I'm, I'm, I've got tears in my eyes. And the Lord speaks to me. Here's what he says. You're Jonah. That's all he said. <laughs> and here's, here's what I immediately realized. <laughs> I had more joy about that hubcap than I had had about anything that happened in Honduras. And when I lost the hubcap, I shed tears, tears that I had never shed for the poor people that lived in that dump in Honduras. And I, I saw my heart. <laughs> and when God shows you you're on a, there's nowhere to hide, folks. When God says you're Jonah, you're Jonah. It's, there's no, it's not like, well, what about this? What? No, you're Jonah. See, it can, be, it can be a little deceiving because Jonah has worked for God. Jonah has led a revival. Jonah has been a prophet. He's heard from God. But the truth is, he's really not God's friend. He's God's child. He's the beloved, certainly. But he's not. He's really very much all about his own little life. And there was no judgment when God said, you're Jonah. He wasn't like, you're Jonah, you horrible person. He's just saying, this is where you are, bud. And all, all you can do is own it. <laughs> I'm like, yes, sir. I'm, I'm Jonah. For all of my prayer, for all of my preaching, for all of my da-da-da-da-da-da-da, I am Jonah. But that's not how the story ends. When God shows us something about ourselves, it certainly is first an invitation to own the reality. We are not what we wish we were. We are what we are. This is just where I am right now. But it's an invitation. It's an invitation to go higher by His grace. Look at Psalm 103, verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Now, if you study this out, you find out why. Because this verse looks like it's unfair. Why, did, why would you show Moses who you are and how you operate and let Moses come into your friendship and leave the Israelites on the outside? Oh, oh, no, no, don't go there. They both got exactly what they prayed for. Children of Israel wanted to get delivered from Egypt, so they prayed that they would get delivered, and they got delivered. They, get, they came through the Red Sea, mighty, mighty miracle. Then the children of Israel want to be fed. So they prayed and they called out and they got fed. And then they wanted meat and they called out and they got meat. 
But when they heard God's voice, do you know what the children of Israel said when they heard God's voice? We don't want to hear that voice anymore. <laughs> Moses, why don't you go up the mountain, you hear, and then you tell us whatever God's saying. We don't, we don't want to be that close. We just want to be taken care of. We want to be protected, and we want to be provided for. That's enough. Do you know what Moses asked for? Moses was in the presence of God, experiencing the manifest presence of God. And here's what he prayed. God, if I have found favor with you, then here's how I want to use my favor. Show me your ways. Teach me your ways. Show me your glory. I want more. I want to take the current favor I have, and I want more of you. And God's like, yes! Come on, buddy. I'm going to have to hide you because you can't see everything and live. But I'm going to show you more. I'm going to have all of my goodness pass before you. Somebody on earth is going to see more of me. Somebody on this earth is going to come more into agreement with who I am and what my ways are. I am inviting you to more. Last, not last Tuesday, a week before that, on Tuesday night in our prayer meeting, one of our uh, prophetic ladies came up and she felt like she had given an announcement, but she felt like she had a word and she just went for it. And that's what we encourage people to do is just go for it. And so she stepped out and she said this, does anybody here need a heart transplant? That's what she said. Does anybody need a heart transplant? And so she's just like, well, you know, sometimes you miss it. You think God's speaking, and he's not, and that's okay. And so she just goes to sit down. She sits down. I know immediately what God's saying. I go back up, and I said this. Ezekiel 36. God offers a heart transplant. He says, I, in the new covenant... I will take out the heart of stone and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. That God was offering a heart transplant. That he would, if we would give him what is cold and dead and dry and hard in us, that God would, just, just because we asked, just because we wanted more, just that he wanted to reveal his heart and give us his heart, that we would be more tender and more sensitive and more feeling. So we just did a prayer for whoever might have wanted that, and then we turned it over to the team. And the team comes up and they say, oh, by the way, the theme for the night is becoming tender-hearted before God. God wants those who want his ways. He wants to take out the heart of He knows. Apart from him, we're all Jonah. Apart from him, we're all going to live very minimal survivalist lives and our relationship with God is God protect me and God provide for me and God make me happy and God make my kids happy. Us four and no more is just fine and, and then one day we'll go home to heaven. And God's like, he's messing with us. Really? That's what he's basically saying to Jonah. Jonah, you want, let me get this straight. You want to die because this plant is, is no longer there. And, and Jonah's like, yep, that's right. And here's, here's, here's my translation of what God says back to him. 
Really? <laughs> really? Really? I have so much more for you. But I, I need you to come higher. All right, I've talked enough. Let's quick, we have the worship team come on up and.